This is the video I did not want to make, mainly because of the overall depressing nature and the tinfoil hat wearing fringe. There's that as well. But here we go. Engineer versus politicians versus COVID. What's really happening in New South Shitsville? This report is not about cars, like not even that much, so sorry. I'm not gonna be offended, of course, if you decide to sit this one out, therefore, but in my view, it's time. Daily rates of infection in New South Wales are doubling, roughly once every two weeks, based on the current data. It's a classic geometric progression, okay? If you paid attention at school, you know what that means, and if you did not, I'm gonna show you. As I record this, New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian is delivering the daily press briefing for Thursday the 19th of August, and New South Wales Health has just tweeted the latest COVID comic, another record high of 681 locally acquired cases. Because of the impact on everyone's way of life, whether you're still at work or not, I've been getting a heap of requests to comment on this, like this one from Mark Barber. We need someone like you reviewing the COVID vaccine specs and lockdown rationale. Okay, so right off the top, vaccines work. It doesn't get any more obvious than that. Science has done a frankly outstanding job getting effective vaccines deployed fast. I had my second vaccination on Monday, so I'm absolutely not saying one thing to you and doing another from beneath my foil cap lining. It reduces average risk of dying by 90-ish percent. So in my view, a fair exchange, beyond fair, for feeling a little bit off colour for a couple of days, like a total of 48 hours. Unfortunately though, living in the information age, as we all do, means anyone susceptible to these nutbag theories is just one click away from fracturing the epistemology of reality and weaponizing their confirmation bias. This is enabled by information technology, okay? So knock yourself out in the comments if that's how you roll. But in reality, you don't get to have an opinion about vaccines any more than you get to have an opinion about gravity or what time the sun's gonna set tomorrow. Like, dude, you just don't. Pro tip, okay, if a general anaesthetic was a prophylactic countermeasure against COVID, like, it isn't, but work with me here, okay, thought experiment. If it were, about one person would die for every 100,000 doses that were administered. In a population of 26 million people, like here in Shitsville, about 260 people would die. And the media would have a field day. Like, imagine the outcry if, for example, peanuts were the textbook COVID prophylactic, right? The deaths. The hysteria around vaccines is exactly this, and yet the risk is orders of magnitude lower. So I'd suggest that mommy and daddy telling you that your opinion really, really matters is one of society's biggest and most enduring current problems. There are so many things about which opinion really is irrelevant. It's unequivocally clear that 
Australia's most useless Prime Minister and its most useless Health Minister have botched the rollout of the vaccines. And New South Wales's most useless Premier and even worse Health Minister have botched effective countermeasure implementation in respect of the Delta variant of this disease. And the official rhetoric from these assholes and senior bureaucrats is disgracefully vague, intellectually dishonest and intelligence insulting, especially to anyone who, kind of like me, studied numerical analysis at university. These clowns are really not helping. There are only two countermeasures, right? Vaccination and minimising human interaction. The third option is just live with it. And I suggest we're doing all three to some degree. Humans have proved that isolation is an effective countermeasure, like repeatedly since at least the Black Plague back in the 17th century, and they didn't even know what caused disease back then. Premier Gladys Berejiklian warned New South Wales could reach 1,000 cases a day if people keep ignoring the rules. Perhaps someone should tell our useless Premier that the incubation period for COVID-19 is up to 14 days. That's according to a paper called Communicable Diseases Intelligence 2020, COVID-19 Australia Epidemiology Report Number 31, which was published on December the 6th last year. Median incubation period five to six days, but up to 14. Up to 14 days is therefore the gap between getting infected and actually presenting with symptoms. So, for example, today's new record of 681 cases in New South Shitsville is, in a sense, looking at where the disease was in the community one to two weeks ago, because that's how this works. You can use that data to predict where we are now, and frankly, it's about 750 cases based on a seven-day latency period and about 1,000 cases based on 14 days of latency. But I guess that would look bad or worse, despite being far more intellectually honest, so they don't go there, right? Someone should also tell the useless Premier that the numbers say at the current rate of geometric progression, which can be modelled fairly easily by anyone who's vestigially numerate, infection rates double roughly every fortnight with existing restrictions in place based on the publicly available data. Therefore, 1,000 cases a day any way you look at this, it's a done deal. The report's just not in yet, and it won't be for a week or two. Right, so before we get to the data, it's really important for you to understand that there are lots of things that you experience commonly in the real world that can be accurately mathematically modelled, but they're counterintuitive, and you experience them all the time. You know, when you go to the shop and you buy a loaf of bread and the milk and you figure out the change from 20 bucks from the olden days when you used to actually hand money over and get change back kind of thing, then, you know, that's straightforward and everybody gets it, all right? But when you start modelling the real world, like I'll give you an example. Just over your left shoulder there, there is a really bright light source. And if I double my distance from it, if I step back there, double the distance, it's only about a metre away. So if I go back to two metres, the intensity of the light hitting me reduces by a factor of one in four. So it's a quarter as bright if I double the distance. 
And that's because the same number of photons are now spread over twice the width and twice the height, so the intensity is one quarter. Okay, and you go back another, double that distance, go back to about four metres, it's one sixteenth. And if you're one of those poor bastard firefighters who had to rush in at Chernobyl and pick up big chunks of the reaction mass, if they're back here at 100 metres, the intensity can be insignificant. But as they run in, you know, you run into 50 metres, you get four times the intensity of the hard radiation hitting you. And then you run into 25 metres, it's eight times, you run in closer and closer and closer, and the intensity goes because of exactly the same phenomenon. You start with a fertilized cell, okay? This is another example of exactly this kind of thing. It doubles, right? Turns into two cells, then two turn into four, four turn into eight, eight turn into 16, 16 go to 32. And before you know it, you've got a little tiny human that you need to take care of for the next 35 years or something. Cancer works exactly the same way. One cell, two, four, eight, 16, 32. And before you know it, you've got friggin' Scott Morrison's head growing out of your chest. Nobody wants that, especially if you're a chick kind of thing, okay? So you just have to leave it at the door and go with the mathematics. And one of the easiest ways to understand how spooky this behavior is, is just get yourself a sheet of copy paper. Now, these things are completely mundane. There's nothing special about them. They're quite thin. If you're the sort of dude who thinks an angle grinder and a welder is an example of fine metal work, then the thickness is basically zero. I guess if you use a milling machine or a lathe routinely, it's much more than that. Okay, so the average sheet of sort of 80 GSM copy paper is about two and a half thousandths of an inch thick. I think it's about 65 microns. Okay, so that's 65 microns, meaning 65 thousandths of a millimeter or 65 millionths of a meter, okay? Micro meaning one millionth of a meter. So if I just fold it in half, which most people have experienced once or twice or more, then it's double the thickness and half the area, obviously, because we've got two thicknesses there and half the area, okay? So it's 130 microns and half the area. And I can do that again, right? And I can give it a third fold and all of a sudden, we're down to quite a small size, one-eighth of the area and eight thicknesses of paper. So eight times 65 microns, whatever the friggin' hell that is. So let's just continue this process. Let's fold it and fold it and fold it and fold it. And we'll go like this, okay? We'll go one, two, three, and then let's go four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, okay? Just ballpark it for me in your head how tall is our folded up stack of one sheet of copy paper with 20 folds on board? Pro tip, most people lowball this tremendously low, so go big, dude. The answer is about 70 meters tall. Okay, if I stack it all up like this, 20 folds, 70 meters. Now, obviously you can't do that with a sheet of copy paper because you can't fold it, it gets too round. I don't think I'd get more than six, like this is, four, five, there's six folds there, and I'm physically unable to do the seventh one, okay? If you did 50 folds, actually 51, if you do 51 folds, the paper is gonna stretch, the, the stack of paper that you create hypothetically stretches to the sun. It's like 150 
million kilometres with 50 folds. And if you want to ballpark it, every time you do 10 iterations of a step like this, you get a 1,000-fold-ish increase in whatever you started with. So 10 folds in, we get 1,000 times the thickness of one sheet. 20 folds in, it's a million, etc. You know, 30 folds in, it's a billion, like that. And obviously you can't even do that if you cut them up with a scalpel. You can't get to 20 folds because you can't, the, the thickness of the blade of the scalpel's not there. And if you wanted to do 51 folds, you could start with a piece of paper the same size as friggin' Australia, and you still wouldn't be able to do, you know, 51 folds and stretch it up all the way to the sun because the real world intervenes like that. But the thing I want you to remember is that these processes, they start off pretty mundane and you think you could go forever and most people's sense of it is, yeah, 20 folds, no problem. Well, have a crack at it, dude. See what happens. Okay, and there's plenty of examples just like that. And the other classic example here, right, is the chessboard. So you say to your average person, I've got two propositions for you. I will give you a million dollars off the bat, like million bucks, or I'll put a cent on the chessboard. Okay, 64 squares, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times eight equals 64. I'll put one cent here, and then I'll put two cents here, and I'll put four cents here. And when we get to the end, you can keep that amount. Which would you prefer? That or the million bucks up front. Most people say I'll take the million bucks. You actually get to a million bucks if you do this, and it happens pretty slowly initially because one cent, two cents, four cents, eight cents, 16, 32, 64, 128, like that, right? So by the time you get to cell number 27 here, you're at about $1.34 million, counterintuitive. Okay, and by the time you get here to halfway through at cell number 32, square number 32, right, you're at 4.3, no, you're at $43 million, okay, by the time you get here. So you go from 1.3 to 43. And this means basically from the first square to halfway down the board, it's a 4.3 billion fold increase in the number, okay? It's impossible to think about using your gut, okay? And the, the really spooky thing is, if you went with option B, then there's a 4.3 billion fold increase in the number between there and there. So you got $43 million here, and you get a 4.3 billion fold increase by the time you get down there to square number friggin' 64, which is like, 180,000 trillion dollars if you lasted that long, starting with one cent at the start of the board, right? So the point I'm making here is that the growth gets starts off slow, gets extreme fast. And that's the case with everything that conforms to that kind of modeling, right? It's more money than you could ever spend in a thousand lifetimes because there aren't that many private jets or luxury resorts or whatever that you could ever buy. And like how many million dollar bottles of wine could you drink? Answer all of them and you still would not put a dent in the amount of money at the end of the board, right? The data. Okay, so this is the public data from New South Wales Health. These first uh, five weeks here came from a document called the COVID Surveillance Report 
which is a PDF, you can download it from the government's website. And these next two weeks of data were manually compiled by me from New South Wales Health's uh, Twitter feed. Basically, once a day, they give an update on the cases, the ICUs, all of that stuff, okay? And this is that data for 14 days added up. So week ending the 7th of the 8th, there were a total of 1,750 new cases. The next week, ending last Friday, 2,446. And I had a look at that and I went, well, these two growth rates here, this is the factor. You have to multiply this number by 1.75 to get to this one. And you have to multiply this one by 2.34 to get to this one. Same process for these next five numbers. These two just seemed anomalously high. So when I went and looked at that, it's because of the increase in the amount of testing, right? That's quite significant. If you go looking for something more and the market's not saturated in looking for it, then you find more whatever. They went looking for more COVID in the community, they found more, okay? So I'm not suggesting that these growth rates are representative of the progression of the virus in as much as these are, because the testing was more or less constant at that 130 to 150 sort of thousand per day ballpark or 100 and something thousand plus per day in this five week period here, okay? So they're all reasonably consistent growth rates. I mean, you always get noise in real world data. And that's why I've taken the weekly totals as opposed to going from day to day because there's a lot of noise in per day, but there's not so much noise here. And you can see that these results, these growth rates are reasonably consistent. 27% to 58% sort of thing, right? And if you average them, you get 38%, you know, what 38.4% growth per week in the numbers on average. And it really is just like interest in a bank account. And you can reduce that, just do a little bit of kooky mathematics, you can reduce that to an equivalent per day interest rate. Think of it as the difference between being charged interest on a weekly basis for a debt versus on a daily basis. This is that, okay? So the equivalent growth rate to get from here to there, it's about four and three quarters percent per day, okay? Which is fantastic if it's a bank account, like you start with a dollar in your bank account, that's awesome. And by the end of the week, you've got like a dollar 38. Just leave it there for a year, dude, because by the end of the year, you're looking at about, I think it's $22.7 million if you get 4.75% interest per day. This is that, only in a bad way, okay? So then I wanted to test the accuracy of the model across this date range. So I started with this and I worked on my 0.475 growth rate, you know, and I just, that's the calculation based on the model. It gives you 355 a day. Reality says 349 a day, it's within 2%. So to me, the model seems reasonably accurate between here and here. And if we're gonna look forward, it's the best thing we can do to look forward. We can project forward. And the only thing I'd suggest about projecting forward is that the further you get from the known range, the further you go out there in the time domain, the less accurate your data becomes. And obviously there are external influences that can work on that too. Like if you go looking twice as hard, you'll find more doesn't mean the disease has proliferated anymore through the community. You've just found more of it. And by the same token, 
if the testing apparatus gets saturated and all of a sudden 250,000 people need to get tested, if you've only got the capacity to test 150,000 people, you're not going to find the additional disease in the community because your testing process is saturated. And, you know, I'll get back to you tomorrow with where the projection takes us, but this is essentially public data. You can review my numbers, you can do endless mathematics on it, and I just wanna have a more honest dialogue with you here and now about what this actually shows than any politician standing in front of a camera that costs, you know, 50,000 times more than the one I'm talking to now, or I'm actually talking to you, and I'm just using that as a mechanism to get there. These current single-digit deaths per day from Delta. All these public figures, you know, Berejiklian and Chant, they're all wringing their hands and offering their seemingly sincere condolences, heartfelt sympathies. I get that individual deaths are personally tragic, but doing this from the top down is pornographically peripheral to the main issue, which would be keeping society safe. And I say pornographic, right? Because I suspect they're mainly doing it for the cameras. Like, I've worked in broadcast news, and the newsies love that shit. It gets a run. In fact, one Australian typically is killed every two days at work, okay? And about three people die every day on our roads. Eight or nine people around the country die every day on average from what is euphemistically termed intentional self-harm. There's not too much top-level hand-wringing on those deaths, I note. The core problem here is nature being opportunistic versus inadequate countermeasures leading to uncontrolled geometric progression of the disease, leading ultimately, in the worst case, to some nightmare hellscape where there are simply not enough intensive care beds, not enough doctors, not enough treatment, treatment capacity, sorry. The kind of thing, in other words, that you could not have imagined actually happening from back in 2019. If you get, I don't know, 500 times the case numbers, and if that leads to a vaguely proportional increase in demand for intensive care, we don't have the ICUs. There doesn't appear to be a plan for this. I do not see the army setting up big tents inside some convenient stadia to deal with it all. There's also this, if people keep breaking the rules bullshit from the Premier, painting the disingenuous picture that lawless mobs of rule-flouting COVID carriers are mainly responsible for the current predicament and the imminent breakdown of our society, therefore. This allows the Premier to throw to the police commissioner, who can talk tough on enforcement because, hey, that's what they do. The cameras love that shit too, and the only problem with it is it can't work. In fact, the data clearly shows most transmission takes place in households, mainly when workers return home and infect the people they live with. And this is, of course, more of a problem for, say, I don't know, a cleaner in a low socioeconomic group who is vulnerable to exposure in multiple places and returns home to a household containing 8, 10, 12 people. And like, it's much less likely that Dominic and Jemima on the North Shore trading foreign exchange from their home office are gonna fall to this kind of transmission vector, right? 
or a YouTuber with a fat cave deeply nestled below stately Chateau Shitsville. That's a snapshot of the most recent COVID weekly surveillance report for New South Wales, dated 31 July. The red area, okay, is the no fucking idea how they contracted it area. And they don't call it that at New South Wales Health, of course, but that's what it is. The teal area, right, that's the household contact of a confirmed case area. Household contact, okay? That's what I'm talking about. The middle chart is southwestern Sydney, right? Broadly, the low socioeconomic epicenter of the greater Sydney region. No disrespect is intended to the residents, okay? The conclusion here, pretty obviously, there is a socioeconomic dimension to transmission of this disease. Tough talk from the cops and $5,000 fines for public transgression cannot stop you from catching this bug at home, which is the major vector for contraction, any more than aiming away from the enemy is going to result in you shooting him in a war. It's also abundantly clear from the data that the capacity of the system to test for COVID and to contact trace the affected is already at or beyond its limit. Like if there's six or seven hundred new infections and four hundred odd of those are quote under investigation, then contact tracing is not exactly on the front foot, is it? It's overwhelmed or nearly so. Surely there's no greater priority for New South Wales health, okay? And the failure here, and it is monumental, is of public health policy and preparedness aided and abetted by the complete absence of honest, open dialogue between elected officials and you and me in the public. This is what happens when you put bottom of the barrel leaders in charge, right? They've got one job and they fail. They've had a year to prepare. There is no excuse for this failure. We should not allow them to divert the blame for failing using spin. We have these things called elections, they're a critical feedback mechanism, and I suggest we use them at the first available opportunity. To be clear on this, the virus is not their fault, it's just nature being opportunistic. Managing it is the problem, okay? The Prime Minister and the Premier of New South Wales in particular, they're running the COVID crisis like it's a PR campaign. It's shameful. I fear for Victoria and I worry about what their government may do. I hope we have demonstrated to other states it is possible to manage an outbreak and not shut down a city. New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian earlier this year there. Personal opinion, playing politics with a pathogen. That statement has certainly not aged well. No wonder the public is confused, angry and or shell-shocked about all of this. And the Prime Minister, all he understands is spin. He's rat-cunning, he sprays himself with polytetrafluoroethylene and he sprints away from any negativity untouched. And on the flip side, he's coated with friggin' contact adhesive around anything positive. And in between these extremes, it's all just hot air. As for taking action on preparedness, biosecurity, quarantine, or funding fundamental scientific research, which are all unequivocally his job, like, forget about it. To state the obvious, I'm not an epidemiologist, okay? The, the foil hat fraternity is absolutely going to criticise me for that. 
I'm an engineer. Engineers analyze, monitor, and develop systems. We use data, we use hypotheses, we do tests, we implement solutions. It's a frigging applied science. A pandemic ripping through a system with constraints is a system. It can therefore be modeled mathematically if you have acquired the data. If you want to criticize me or try to invalidate my argument by virtue of me not being some friggin' doctor, try concentrating on the facts. Point out where my analysis is flawed here. At least I am being intellectually honest with you. I'm treating you like a friggin' grown-up, using facts like so old school. It is frustrating every day when we get examples of a handful of people doing the wrong thing, having parties or having gatherings they shouldn't be having. If you want to be a credible leader, you simply cannot take all the glory for every success and blame everyone else for any failure. And this is exactly what the Premier is attempting every time she steps in front of a TV camera. If you want to be a leader, you have to own it, and you have to own it both ways, the bad as well as the good. It seems to me we are in this position because Gladys Berejiklian cannot understand that taking advice from business lobby groups is not the same thing as taking advice from scientists about biosecurity countermeasures. A population of 8.2 million people with constraints on movement and association and a pathogen spreading through it geometrically, being slowly vaccinated, that's a system. There are seven and a half weeks of Delta data currently available. That data is amenable to basic numerical analysis by anyone. And to get my degree, okay, I was required to apply mathematics endlessly. It's such a brain bender. We did three-hour exams for every subject, generally all mathematics, all longhand, because way back then, multivariable calculus, differential equations, applied numerical analysis, like Jesus. One especially hateful textbook was called Probability and Statistics for Engineers and Scientists. Bright yellow colour, about an inch and a half thick. If you're having difficulty sleeping tonight at 2am, Get yourself a copy. Modeling the data is easy, okay, but what does it actually mean, this data, and how reliable is it? And second, perhaps even more importantly, how can we use it to predict the future? Because all of science attempts to do one incredibly audacious thing, to predict the future. Like how fast is something gonna hit the ground if I drop it now from this height? How much energy can, I don't know, this airbag absorb before your brain turns to puree during a crash? Like, how long is it going to take yeast to turn hops and sugar into VB? Behaviour of systems, subject to freedoms and constraints, right? Mathematical modelling. Science makes outcomes predictable, ontologically predictable, okay? User independent, like ontologically objective. I'll come back to you tomorrow with the projection on all of this based on my modelling, okay? It goes all the way from now to nightmare hellscape, <laughs> which is roughly merry birthday Jesus time sort of thing. A little something extra for us all. Under the Christmas tree, perhaps.